following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to be in the Word this morning. Uh, whenever we do come together, it is a, an opportunity for something great to take place, and, and I'm very optimistic every time we open up the Word that something fantastic is going to happen, not because of just wishful thinking on my part, but because of the promise that the Word of God is the power of God to save uh, to those who believe, and I'm here believing for something uh, really powerful to be imparted not only to my life, but yours as well. Uh, so as we get into the Word, there's a few things that we can look for. Uh, these are things that uh, we're going to find as we get through the scripture here. Uh, they're, they're meant to just give you a, a milestones through the message here as we move through. Uh, maybe something to look forward to if it stands out to you. Uh, th- these are a little more vague than they normally are. Sometimes there's a little bit of a tease to it where it's meant to be a little bit of a hook to kind of draw you in. Uh, these are, are not quite uh, that hookish, so to speak. Uh, but the first one we're going to find is what we need to be aware of. Uh, if you're like me, you might be easily distracted by things. I mean, there's a lot of things that are out there trying to get your attention, especially today. Uh, you know, there's lights and bells and whistles and all kinds of stuff that's saying, hey, look over here. Well, there's a few things that we need to make sure we don't get distracted uh, away from, that we keep our attention fixed on them, because it's really, really important. If we lose our focus, we can begin to lose our way. And uh, I've had that happen in my life on occasion. I've been very blessed to have loving people around me in my household and in the congregation uh, to help keep things in their right priority. Uh, We're going to find out what we need to be aware of. It's very important. Uh, Another thing we're going to find is the enemy of our mind. There there is an element that exists in this world that is after the way you think. And if we can overcome that enemy, we can really clear things up in our head, and we're going to find out why that's so important. Uh, You'll notice that in the days that we live in, a lot of our mentality and our mental health and our challenges are, uh, they seem to be magnified. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you, you know, watch television or have any access to just uh, uh, media, you see that there's a lot of advertisements for help with mental health and mental issues. And the Bible has a lot of things to say about that. I think that it's something that Christians really ought to, to own as far as dealing with mental issues. I see a lot of that in the scripture, and I see God really doing a lot of work in our minds. I think that we ought to focus on those things for the purpose of celebrating the benefits of the work that God does in the way that we think. Uh, and then another thing that we're going to find is where we need to lay our focus, where we need to focus. Now, it kind of sounds similar to what we need to be aware of, but it's a little bit different. This is where we need to make sure our energy and our awareness is all drawn to at all times. And it's very easy to get distracted away from these things and end up in a place that we don't want to be. So. I want to open up with a couple of passages of scripture here. We mentioned we were going to find out what we need to be aware of. We're going to find it in this passage. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Proverbs 23. I want to look at verse 7. Proverbs 23, I want to look at verse 7. You can turn there. You can open up your apps, however you need to get there, but it's good to see it with your own eyes. Here's how the passage reads, and then we're going to kind of read between the lines a little bit. It's very short. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a person thinks within himself, so he is. So he is. How you think within yourself is how you are. Now, this is why I think it was safe to open up with that statement that, you know, there's something we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of how we're thinking. 
And it sounds a little bit strange to say we need to think about our thoughts, but yet that's exactly what we need to be doing. It's one of the reasons why it's great to have people around you that you can share and express your thoughts with in a very safe environment. Like I mentioned the men's group on Saturday. It's been an amazingly intimate time of fellowship, even though it's not forced and awkward and odd. It's very powerful. Like, I don't like forced things. I don't like being interviewed. I don't like being put on the spot. Those are things that are, are not very desirable in my world. But when you come together around people that, know, that you know have your best interest in mind and that you know you have their best interest in mind, it's very easy to be vulnerable and be able to share things. Uh, that group has been a, a wonderful group for me personally to be able to open up and share some of my thoughts. And if we don't think about how we're thinking, if we don't think about our thoughts, they can go unchecked. Now, the Bible actually tells us to do something really specific, and it's not really in a vernacular that we use today. It's not really something that we say a lot, but we ought to pay attention to what it says. We have a command on our life or an instruction to take every thought captive. That's kind of a weird way to say it. Capture every thought. Take every thought captive. Now, I've been delivered and set free from all kinds of nonsense, so I have a little bit of awareness and experience of what it would be like to be taken captive, so to speak. There have been a few occasions where I misbehaved and I forfeited my rights. Of course, I had the right to remain silent, but the rest of my rights were gone. You know, and here's what's really interesting when that kind of, of, of captivity is introduced. One, you're immobilized. And then two, you're, you're searched. You're completely searched. Now, when I consider this, when I consider taking my thoughts captive, I like to think more like a police officer or law enforcement where I'm going to, to step into the situation, evaluate my thoughts, and I'm here to make sure that these thoughts are productive, that they're following the guidelines that are fruitful, that they're doing the things that are helpful, and that they're not bringing destruction and disorder and chaos. When we take our thoughts captive, I think it's important to subdue the thought, isolate the thought, and then search it. What are the origins of this thought? Why am I thinking this thought? Now, it sounds a little bit goofy, but it's not quite as, as clinical as, as it's coming out. I mean, I think you can just develop habits to ask yourself simple questions. Why do I feel that way? I've had people say things to me, and it just infuriates me where they'll say something and I'll get really upset, and then if I stop and ask myself, why did that upset me? I'll find out it had really nothing to do with the person or their statement. It had to do with something else completely different. And if I were to, to respond to that person with the fury that what they said provoked, then they would be getting hit with something they didn't deserve. I mean, that happens a lot in our households. If anyone who's married understands that's a challenge, anyone who has children understands that's a challenge, you can have a difficult day and go home and take it out on your family. That's no bueno. It's just not right. In fact, by definition, it's abusive. And we're all positioned to walk in that kind of a, a, a lifestyle if we're not careful, if we're not taking our thoughts captive, if we're not searching them and identifying where is this coming from? Should this be released or should it be incarcerated? A lot of thoughts need to just be locked up. They don't need to be set free. So anyway, there's, there's a need for us to think about how we're thinking because how we're thinking is how we're going to be, according to this passage of Scripture. This is the reason why I think it's really important that we evaluate what we take in. I've mentioned before, kind of joking, and it's no slam against my upbringing. I have really great parents. Many of you know my parents. In fact, I hope that they come soon. I've invited them to come and, uh, and lead a service in the near future. 
Um, but I, in conversation with them, I've looked back in the past and, and I've thought, you know, that's kind of a funny thing. Uh, you get a little bit of a, a lazy parenting on occasion, right? Where you'll ask a question and you'll just get kind of the easy route for the answer. And it's not because of, of uh, parenting being a low priority, just life is busy, you're maybe caught off guard by those things. I'm sure I've done my share of lazy parenting quite often. Oftentimes when you hear lazy parenting, it, it sounds something like this, because I said so. You know, it, it's like I can't give you the reason why, but I'm just telling you that's how it is, so deal with it, right? And it's because we're all really busy with things. But I, I think when it comes to, to the things that we embrace as believers, there's reasons behind it beyond just the fact that that's how it is. Like we shouldn't watch dirty things. We shouldn't listen to dirty things. We shouldn't partake in dirty things. Not just because that's against the rules, but because it's going to affect how we think. And then once it gets in your head and starts to affect how you think, according to the passage of Scripture we just read, how you think is how you are. You let it in your body. You let it in through the eye and through the ear, and all of a sudden it's in the head. And once it's in the head, it begins to affect the heart. And once it's in the heart, it begins to be lived out. God's not interested in just giving us a bunch of rules because he's into arbitrary red tape. It's because he wants our lives to be rich and full and lovely and precious and productive. He cares about how we behave and function, not because he's uh, embarrassed if we break the rules, but because he wants our lives to go well. He loves us. So we have this need to be aware of how we're thinking. We have this need to guard what goes in that affects our thoughts. And when we begin to think about our thoughts, we can capture those thoughts and put them in their proper place. The ones that need to be released, we can release. The ones that need to be incarcerated, we can lock up. The ones that need to just be put away forever and just shut down, we can shut those down. There's a passage of scripture that really stands out to me. It means a lot to me personally. And I want to share it with you, but I have to share it in a paraphrase, which is always kind of a dangerous thing to do. You never know if that's really going to communicate. But for your notes, if you want to write it down, you'll find it in Numbers 13. Numbers 13, and you're going to find the actual kind of point that I'm making in verse 33. But in Numbers 13, what you have is you have a group of people that are pursuing God's promises, right? Well, that could define this congregation right here. It's a group of people that, that know God exists, that you know God has this plan for your life, and we're all walking out that plan. And it's a wonderful thing to celebrate. And that plan gets met with resistance. That plan gets met with resistance a lot in my life. I mean, I, I know through conversation and fellowship, God's plan gets met with resistance in your life. And part of the body of Christ is supporting each other through that and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome all of those challenges and trials and temptations to do what's right. So here in Numbers uh, 13, what you find is a group of people who know that God has a plan for their life, and then it's met with resistance. And when they look on the resistance, they begin to think thoughts that are inferior. In this case, they literally encounter people that are bigger than them, people that they call giants. And when they encounter these giants, now this giant can be metaphoric. It can be for a challenge you're facing today. It doesn't have to be a literal person who's taller than you by some significant amount. You're talking about something that's resisting what God's called you to. And when they face this challenge or they face this issue, it begins to, to affect how they thought. Some thought one way and some thought another way. The majority of the people began to think inferior thoughts. 
In fact, they begin to voice those thoughts when they were asked about their challenge or the problem. And here's what they said, and it's a really interesting way to say it. They say, we saw something bigger than us. We saw a challenge that's going to hinder us from being uh, in the middle of what God's called us to in any kind of easy fashion. There's resistance. And when we saw that resistance, here's what it says. We became like bugs in our own eyes, and therefore we became like that in the eyes of our enemy. Now, you could read right past this and just think, well, that's weird, right? But think about that. We saw ourselves as inferior. We saw ourselves as incapable. We saw ourselves as destined to be defeated. We saw ourselves like bugs. And when we saw ourselves like that, that's how they began to see us. That's how our enemy saw us. That's why God cares about how you think. How you think about your life is how the enemy thinks about your life. Do you see yourself as a victorious, blood-bought, Holy Ghost-filled believer, the greatest threat to hell since the resurrection, or do you see yourself as just a sinner saved by grace? Which I have no problem with that last part. I'm glad for the salvation of grace. But do you see yourself as destined for victory no matter what comes your way? We can wake up and greet every sunrise with this testimony. Because of Jesus Christ, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because of the love of my Heavenly Father, I carry the solution to every one of this world's problems. That's how we can see ourselves. And then you don't have to make it so grand. Consider this. I've been given everything I need to talk to my wife in a kind and appropriate way. (laughs) I've been given everything I need to treat my children as a loving father and to see to it that they're free from abuse. I've been given everything I need to walk into the workplace and handle that conflict with that coworker without making it worse. I've been given everything I need to bring a solution to this situation. I've been given everything I need. This is the mentality and the thought process that we need to embrace to have healthy thoughts. Because how we see ourselves is how our enemy sees us. And I want my enemy, when he sees me, to see someone who has the victory, who has the power and the authority, someone who has the anointing and the calling, and someone who has the awareness and the will to do what God has called him to do. And to not second guess it. How you think is important. I think that's why you have passages of Scripture like this, because this is really what sets us apart. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here for your notes, Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2, it reads like this. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, that word prove there isn't in the context of winning an argument. It's in the context of showing through action. I'm going to prove to you what the will of God is with my life. I'm going to prove to you what the will of God is with my choices and my decisions. I'm going to prove to you what the will of God is through who I am in every aspect of my being, all because my thoughts have been touched by the Spirit of God. My mind has been renewed by the Holy Ghost. Because the way the world thinks has been purged out of me and the way that the kingdom of heaven thinks has been poured into me, I can be different than the rest of this world because God has done a work in my mind. He's affected the way I think, therefore he's affected who I am. And I will choose to see myself in that light. Healthy thinking comes from God. I love this because I do think that 
that our mental well-being is under tremendous attack. Look at all of the efforts to introduce stress and worry and anxiety and fear and doubt. Remember that word. We're going to come back around to it. All the efforts to introduce this garbage into our lives. It's because how you think is important. Here's a passage of scripture just to show you how important healthy thinking is to God. He has given you what you need to deal with it. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. I love the passage of scripture. We're going to read it and then break it down a little bit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather power, love, and soundness of mind. Soundness of mind. Think about that. It's on the same plane as, as power, which is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's on the same plane as love, which is God himself. God is love. This is a top priority thing. We need to care about how we think. If we don't care about how we think, we're destined for some kind of attrition morally, just the wearing away of our morality, the wearing away of our ethics, the wearing away of our convictions. We are going to be like the world rather than be transformed into the likeness of our King Jesus. I've mentioned this before when we've used that passage, but going back to Romans 12 too, where we read, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is really awesome. It's pretty amazing. And let me tell you something that really blew my mind as a young believer, right? I remember reading about Jesus in the Gospels for the first time, and, and I grew up in church, so I had heard it a lot, but I remember reading it for the first time as a believer, where the words were coming off the page, and it wasn't just a book, but the, the Scripture was alive. And everything I was reading meant so much to me, and I, I had this awareness because of the, the men and women that were speaking into my life and ministering to me that God had called me to be just like Jesus. And so I began to read the gospel and I began to see him as an example until I got to one place. And I thought, throughout this, I see the Son of Man, 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 walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. And then I got to one passage of Scripture and I thought, that sounds like Jesus is an alien. <laughs> I don't know how that's supposed to have anything to do with my life. Because I, I can read this and I can see having compassion and being a catalyst for the Spirit of God and God working miracles through your faith and the faith of Jesus and all of these things. And I can see all of that and I can line up with it. And then you find something in the Scripture and you think, well, how is that going to apply to me? Now, the, the place where I hit a brick wall is a passage of Scripture that we refer to as the transfiguration. Jesus is standing in front of some of his disciples and he begins to illuminate. I begin to think like, well, how does that apply to me? I understand I've been anointed to minister to people and pray for people, but I've never been like, okay, guys, you ready? Watch this. <laughs> I don't think that's how it was at all. And then you start to understand the words that make up the word. And you know how important that is to me. I mean, one of the books we use the most in here is the dictionary, right? I mean, because if you don't understand the word that makes up the word, you're never going to understand the word. When you go to that word, uh, transform, don't be conformed to this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same word for transfiguration that's used in the gospel. This is how that relates to my life. 
This was Jesus showing us, I'm just like you. God is at work in, in my mind, renewing everything that I think at all times. Not that I would think on my own initiative, not that I would think as the world thinks, but this work is taking place in me, and it's an example to you. And as this work takes place, it shows on the outside. When people see you, they will see a difference. They will see as if light were shining off of you. You're not the same. Because the work of God is meant to be that powerful. I remember one time sitting in a prayer meeting, and it was a really great group of people, intercessors. And if you've ever been around intercessors, they're weird people, man. I love intercessors. Intercessors are funny. I mean, they're wild. And you've got to love that faith. and the, 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 uh, I just love it. I love the concept of intercession, but I don't know that I'm an intercessor in the way that, that some are. Kind of like I love the concept of the prophetic, but I might not be considered a prophet, right? You get what I'm saying with that? This is an office that these people walk in. It's an anointing and a calling specific to their life. We all have a call to intercede, but some are intercessors. You'll know them when you meet them. You'll know them when you meet them. And I'm in this group, with, and they're so fun to be around because the faith and the, 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 the willingness to jump in and do something, they don't just sit around in a circle and complain about things. They start binding and loosing and praying, and it's great, you know. They don't just sit around and talk, well, divorce rate's same in the church as it is in the world. They sit around and bind the spirit of divorce and division in the name of Jesus. You know, you love it because you feel like, yeah, we need a dose of that. We need a dose of that. So I'm sitting around with these intercessors. We're having a great time. It's a great meeting. And they start talking about uh, politics. Uh-oh, right? And one of them is mentioning a specific politician. And, and this politician had been grandstanding quite a bit, you know, to get attention and things like that. And it's what they do. I mean, they literally run for office. They're, it's a popularity contest, right? And, and they were doing uh, some things that were, were targeted toward believers, toward the church, you know, uh, in, a, in a positive way, leading prayer meetings and stuff like that. And one of the intercessors said, do you think that their faith is genuine? And, and I just remember everyone went around the room and said something. And it got to me, and I, I just, I don't even know if this is a good answer for that, but this is what came out. I thought, if you have to ask, no. <laughs> because it should show. It should show. Just like that transfiguration could be witnessed. Everyone who was around saw it. Nobody thought like, I don't know, I didn't see something happen. They all see it, and it shows on the outside. When our minds are renewed and our thinking is right, it shows in our words, it shows in our actions, it shows in our attitudes. And when we begin to fail to capture our thoughts, and the thoughts of this world begin to enter in, thoughts of inferiority, thoughts of failure, thoughts of, of lust or perversion, thoughts of any kind of corruption, and those thoughts are welcomed in, then all of a sudden those thoughts begin to affect how we function and how we behave. And it begins to be lived out. I remember talking to the group of men on the Saturday morning men's meeting a, a year ago saying, you know what, I realized I, I've started saying a couple of words that I used to not say. At work, people had made me mad or done something, and, and this is what came out. I used to would have never said that. I mean, that's meant to be a red flag, right? Some kind of thought has crept in, taken root. Now it's affecting who I am and how I behave. I need to take it captive. I've got to change the way I think so I can change who I am. Here's a wonderful promise that we have here. We're going back to 2 Timothy. God hasn't given us anxiety or fear, but rather he's given power and love and soundness of mind. Now, this is not something that I think is, is meant to be uh, produced as, as a doctrine, so to speak, but I want to give you an opinion of mine. And I like to, to separate those two. 
There's no doubt that God has given us these things to affect how we think so that we're not led by fear and anxiety, but that we're led by power, love, and soundness of mind. I actually think the order is interesting here. I think this is something that is, is really worth thinking about. Like, again, I told you it's my opinion. I think if you are given power and you are giving love, it's like a math problem. Power plus love equals soundness of mind. Most of the time when I have felt my thoughts stray or I've felt my, my anxiety rise and I've had my thinking become unstable, there's been the absence of power or love. The presence of anger or the presence of, of fear or, or some kind of, of rejection or hurt or wound. Totally the absence of love. Or, or maybe a feeling of inferiority. Uh, uh, some kind of a, a sensation that something is impossible or, or can't be achieved or overcome. The opposite of power. But God would give us himself. He's love. He would give us power. His spirit. And the result of those two things together in my life create this wonderful solution to the way I think, soundness of mind. I can always know no matter what, God's love is not going to abandon me, leave me, or forsake me. I can always know no matter what, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. You got power, you got love, and it should equate to soundness of mind. No matter what letters in my mailbox, no matter what phone calls on my phone, no matter what issue is at work, no matter what challenges or difficulty are within the marriage and family and the house and the workplace, no matter where it's at or what it is, soundness of mind has room to prevail. So here comes then the enemy of your mind. I mentioned we were going to find that. as the second thing we're going to find. I want to give that to you from the scripture. Uh, James chapter 1, I want to look at verses 2 through 8. It's kind of a, a mouthful here. Uh, to read, but you're going to get the point by the time we get to the end. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 2, consider it all joy when you encounter all kinds of trials. And trials is just a really, you know, nice word for problems, right? So consider it all joy when you have problems, knowing that the, those problems are a test for your faith that produce endurance. And endurance has a perfect result. That perfect result leaves you uh, perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. I mean, this passage of Scripture is meant to be encouraging that every one of your problems are really an opportunity, an opportunity for you to reveal Jesus to this world. I have an opportunity to reveal Jesus to my wife or reveal Jesus to my sons. I have an opportunity to reveal Jesus to this congregation. I have an opportunity to reveal Jesus to the people I work with. I have an opportunity to reveal Jesus everywhere I deal with challenges question is, am I making the most of those opportunities? It goes on to say this, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives wisdom generously and without reproach. But ask without faith, without any doubting. Now, this is where that word doubt's going to come in. I told you we we're going to double or come back around to it. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect he would receive anything from the Lord. Being double-minded, he's unstable in all of his ways. It's pretty interesting to me that stability in a person's life is subject to how they are in their mind. Being double-minded is going to open up this door for instability. Well, I deal with things every day that I would describe as unstable. 
Good times, bad times, good times, bad times, good times, bad times. You deal with people with addiction issues where they have sober times and, and, and they break their sobriety sober and they break their sobriety sober. You deal with people that have these extremes that are highs and lows, ins and outs, light and dark. It's unstable. And when you begin to look at this passage of Scripture, it begins to tell you where the work needs to take place. We've got to deal with double-mindedness. There needs to be a singularity of thought, a one-way street of thinking, and that thinking needs to be godly in every aspect, rich with the, the truth of victory and empowerment, or as the scripture that we read before would, would state, power, love, and then ultimately the soundness of mind. When we consider these things that God's made available to us, we see the opportunity to stabilize our thinking. And when we stabilize our thinking, we stabilize our lives. And I've mentioned this before when we've used this passage of Scripture. It's interesting to me that a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. I would think that a double-minded person would be unstable half the time. Here's the problem with somebody that's double-minded is, is there's no consistency. Whatever you put in that basket is ultimately going to fall through the bottom. It's just a matter of time. So this is the kind of thing that I look at and begin to examine my life. Father, I've given my life to you. I've received Jesus as my Savior. I, I, I love being spirit-led in every aspect of my life and the benefits of it. But I want to be protected from becoming double-minded. All of this effort to bring doubt into my life, all of the voice of the world and all of the voice of, of uh, corruption of all kinds and temptations of all kinds, I want to be singular in my thought. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be stable. And I for sure want that stability not only to be for me, but for everyone around me, the ones that I've been called to serve and lead and love. I don't want them to suffer the roller coaster of my double-mindedness. Father, deliver me from this instability and make my mind to be singular. Cause me to have a one-track mind, that one-track mind that celebrates the ultimate victory and salvation that is in Jesus. There's a way to do this if we look in the scripture. And it starts with some things that can be dealt with. And this is something that I say I can't take credit for the conviction myself. Though I've read the scripture and I've seen the word there, it actually rang out in, in my ears when I heard it come from my wife. We were dealing with an issue and a situation. It was very uh, loving the way it was being dealt with. It was hardly some kind of a... A, a fight, as some people would say, but this was more of a communication, a helpful communication. And that helpful communication was identifying the location of, of the need for ministry. And, and one of the words that was being used, and let me just tell you something, if you're a, a husband or a father, if you're just a man, imagine hearing this and ask yourself, would I feel good if I heard that? What my wife said was, honey, in this matter, you're just not a humble person. It didn't provoke humble thoughts. Immediately, I'm, I'm building up the argument. I'm about to just let her know how humble I am. <laughs> let me tell you about my humility and all the many ways in which I am gloriously humble. <laughs> but I, 
I knew what she said, though, what, in fact, it was the response that I felt rise up that reali I realized immediately, like, well, she's absolutely right. Because a humble person wouldn't bow up like that. A humble person wouldn't have that reaction. And so, uh, you know, you turn to the scripture and you begin to see something. Well, this is interesting, right? I mean, James 4, if you start in verse 6, it reads like this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What an interesting thing that my wife, my helpmate, would say, hey, listen, I know you're wanting to see God move in this, but you need to understand in this you're not a humble person. What she's trying to protect me from is, hey, you're going to waste your time with all kinds of efforts to discipline yourself personally and it's going to be a roller coaster of instability and double-mindedness until you can get your heart humble and realize this is a problem and you need help. What an interesting concept to think. You know what? It starts with humility. If I want God to set me free from the double-mindedness that opens the door for the bad thinking, that opens the door for the bad behavior, that opens the door for the hurts and the wounds and the rejection and the suffering and the loss, then I need to start by humbling my heart. Sometimes humbling your heart comes in different forms, but I think for most people, it, it comes to this. I mean, this is really what humbling your heart comes down to, in my opinion. God, there's nothing I won't give up that you call me to give up. Nothing I won't let go of. I, I want to be completely pliable. You are the potter, I'm the clay. I don't want to try to mold your word to fit my lifestyle. I want my lifestyle to be molded by your word. I completely surrender that's humble. And when humility is absent, you hear all kinds of things that are defensive and argumentative and, and divisive. An attempt to win an argument instead of an attempt to just win. I mean, think about that. Married couples in the room, like, you're on the same team. Why would you ever fight each other? We're supposed to be fighting together against a common enemy that's dividing this household. We're not meant to be fighting each other and ripping ourselves to shreds. The humbling of the heart. It's where it starts. It's the open door for the grace that makes that change in our thinking, that washes over our mind to renew it so that we're not double-minded and unstable. And that passage of Scripture continues. You know, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit to God and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isn't it interesting that the purification of the heart has an effect on the mind? God, purify my heart so I won't be double-minded. What a great prayer to pray. I mean, whether you feel an ounce of conviction from this message or not, just take that one into your prayer life and see what happens. God, will you reveal to me the impurities in my heart so that my mind might be made singular to truth, that I might just be in a one-track mind, the truth of your word, the wonders of my king and your glory, and nothing else. Here's what happens when we begin to be directed in our hearts by God. Something begins to happen, and I'll, I'll read it to you. I don't think a, a scripture could say it better than this. 2 Thessalonians, I want to read from chapter 3. It's verse 5. It's a, it's a, a statement of encouragement or a blessing or, or even a prayer. It says, you know, may the Lord, may the Lord direct your hearts 
into the love of God. Remember, power, love, and soundness of mind. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the stability of Jesus Christ. Stability. Stability is a great word. I, I love the word stability. In fact, you know, I, I mean, I've worked with churches and, and pastored for two decades plus, and, and you, when you begin to work with congregations and people, you begin to realize how unstable a lot of relationships are. I mean, there's, there's the, the desire to have a consistency and stability, but yet there's so many things pulling on it. And whether it's little things that are offensive or whether it's big things, it doesn't matter. The stability that comes from God is meant to unify us through all things. So you look at stability, and I just see the words stay and ability the ability to stay. I want stability in my relationships. I want stability in my work. I want to be so consistent in my work that there's never any fear that it's ever going to, to fail. I want to be so stable in my, my marriage and in my family that, that divorce isn't an option. There's no thought of separation. I want to be so stable in my love and my affection for the body of Christ that there's just no offense that's going to open up the door for separation and division. The ability to stay. I want stability. And I like this word too, and you can easily substitute this word for stability in this passage of Scripture, consistency, right? Stability and consistency are one and the same in their context in this word. But if I use the word consistency, see if it just hits your heart a little bit different when it's read. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the consistency of Jesus Christ. I want to consistently make godly choices and decisions. I don't want to pick and choose when I'm godly. My Christianity is not subject to what's on TV. It's not subject to who's around. It's not subject to how I feel. I want consistency. And so here's what I really love. You know, you, you bring a word like this and... and it gets a little bit quiet for a couple of reasons. One, because we're out of time, and, and you're, you know, we, we're kind of groomed to, to know when it's time. Uh, two, maybe even just the flesh, where it's like, hey, lunch is creeping in, right? I'm getting hungry. And then three, it, it becomes something that's just weighty. You hear it, and you think like, man, that, I feel something inside of me, but what do I do with it? And I think when we bring words like this, we can't just talk about what we need to do, but there has to be some kind of an element of how you do it. Or else we just grow in our intelligence and our Bible IQ goes up a couple notches, but our lives really remain unchanged. You can tell me what to do all day long, and if you don't show me how to do it, it ain't going to happen. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with this. And, and in my opinion, again, and I'm presenting it with tremendous confidence, I'm, I'm confident in this opinion, this is really how you do this. How you begin to, to allow your mind to be singular and not double-minded in the situations and the circumstances that we face. One, I mean, obviously we talked about that need for that renewal of the mind. Take that into your prayer life. You know, God, renew my mind by your spirit. I want my mind to be renewed. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be different. But listen to this passage of Scripture and see just how practical an application can be, and then ask yourself, would that change how I behave if I put that to practice at all times? comes from Philippians. I told you before we're going to find what we need to focus on or where we need to focus. Philippians chapter 4. Now I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. We're going to get to the main point as we get closer to 8. 
Beginning in verse 4, it reads like this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And let your gentle spirit be made known to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, uh, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Now verse 8, and this is really where I think the rubber meets the road. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. I, I would read this passage of Scripture, you know, early in my, my years as a believer, and I would be so uh, drawn to the promise of the peace of God guarding my heart and my mind that it would be such a desirable thing. And I would see the opening of this passage is called to be anxious for nothing as such a desirable thing. And I would see the instruction is, you know, don't be anxious for these things, but, but through prayer and through supplication with thanksgiving, you know, let your request be made known to God. I would see that and I would stop there. And what I would find is I would just be praying really stressed out. Waking up to have my prayer time and praying about the problems that I would be facing and dealing with and going to, to have... Uh, an evening prayer time and praying about the problems that I'm facing and dealing with. And what I realize is I'm leaving out verse 8. All of this call to be anxious for nothing and, and to, to not allow you know, fear and anxiety to open up a door for double-mindedness in your life is satisfied with verse 8. Verse 8 saying, hey, finally, meaning like, hey, this is really the solution, right? This is the end. If you want to know how things need to wrap up, get to the finally. Finally. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good reputation, wherever there's excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I need to, I'm dwelling on the wrong stuff. I'm dwelling on my problems. I'm dwelling on my frustration. I'm dwelling on the rejection. I'm dwelling on the hurt. I'm dwelling on the wound. I'm dwelling on the anger. I'm dwelling on all the wrong things. I need to change my dwell. I need to start dwelling on the right stuff. I mean, this is a, a, an off-the-wall example, and we're closing, so, so don't fret. But imagine if in a, a relationship, and, and I'll go with my marriage, my, my wife and I, imagine if instead of coming home and griping about everything that went wrong, I came home and talked about everything that was great. Do you think that would affect the atmosphere in my home? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, imagine if we focused on the things that are, are worth focusing on and we didn't give our energy and devote our effort and our time and our attention to the things that were introducing doubt and fear and anxiety, we might get a different result. I read this passage of Scripture and I think that's what I want. And I don't want to water it down, no pun intended, but I, I think that this is like spiritually the difference between being glass half empty and glass half full. 
It's the same set of circumstances, but I want to see it from a positive perspective. I want to see the opportunity to see victory come. I want to see the opportunity for testimony. Yeah, I know this looks like a real storm right here, but watch what God can do and see how he can glorify his name through miraculous provision, miraculous transformation, miraculous healing. Let's watch and see what God can do with that. Let's focus on the lovely, the pure, the righteous, that which is worthy to be praised. And then you start reading that and you think, well, that sounds a lot like Jesus. If I were to describe Jesus, I think I could say honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good reputation, excellent, and worthy of praise. If I have trouble memorizing this passage of Scripture, I think it could say, finally, brethren, whatever you do, dwell on Jesus. Just dwell on Jesus. To dwell on anything else is to open up the door for double-mindedness, which opens up the door for instability, which opens up the door for poor behavior, which opens up the door for hurt and suffering. Dwell on Jesus. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Can't tell if those are pins clicking or knees. Man, I squatted down at work the other day and got up. It, it sounded like a ratchet. I didn't like that. I need to dwell on something pure and something. Uh, I don't want to dwell on that. That's frightening. It's funny stuff. I love the scripture, and, and it's always uh, fun and for me personally to get into the word because there's a flow to it, and you move through that flow. And, and I, I love the idea of God being at work through one thing in so many different ways. I mean, we're, we're hardly, you know, uh, 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 unable to be counted in this room, but yet every single person would have this word touch their life and affect their life in a different way. It's really amazing to consider what God would do through the Scripture. So what I want to do is I want to pray, and I want to trust and believe that God is doing something great in each of us individually through the idea of having our, our mind renewed, affecting the way that we think. It's not about just being a positive thinker. It's about not being distracted or deceived by the lies that are in this world. You should find it interesting, along with me, that the devil is identified as the father of lies, and the Holy Spirit is identified as the spirit of truth. I want my thinking to be led by truth, so that my actions can be led by truth so that my life can be a manifestation of truth and the results can be life-giving to everyone around. So there where you stand, I want to pray and I want to ask God to do this work in our lives so that collectively a work can be done in us individually and as a congregation. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. We ask for a renewal to take place in our mind by your spirit. We don't want to look like the world. We purge double-mindedness from us by revealing to us any corruption that exists in our hearts. And let that corruption be yielded to you, that we truly would be humble, that without any defensiveness or, or any argument, we would surrender you to you as the clay surrenders to the potter, mold us and shape us as we ought to be. And let the result be stability in thought, that we truly could focus on everything that is Jesus 
everything that's right and pure and lovely, everything that has great reputation, everything that is, is above reproach and everything that is worthy of praise, let that be our focus. And as we begin to speak on these things, as we begin to think on these things, let those thoughts begin to affect who we are and how we function. Let them affect how we speak and how we behave. Let them affect how we love one another and how we reveal your love to this world. Let there be a transfiguration that would take place in us that truly would be visible to all of those who would witness. That we would be seen as light in the darkness and that the result would be evangelistic in every way. We bless your name and we thank you for your promise to work in us and through us. And we receive the call to operate as the body of Christ. We bless you and we rejoice in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.